Hello and welcome to the first DIY recording equipment podcast. My name is Peterson Goodwin. I'm your host and today I'm talking to Scott Helmke, designer of the Alice microphone about DIY microphones. So let's start off talking about, I suppose, what most people would would know your name by, the Alice microphone. What's the... What's the story with the Alice mic? Well, the story with the Alice microphone goes back a few years, and essentially I had burned out as a software developer, and I was kind of trying to figure out what I was going to do instead of sitting at a desk typing all day. And uh, I got sort of was getting back into audio, which I'd done a lot in college. I'd done it, you know, goofed around with it a lot as a kid, just sort of, you know, finding things, fixing things, you know, assembling kind of this. Uh, you could sort of call it a studio, I guess. You know, I was dumping between cassette decks using old tube mixers that came out of insurance company paging systems and stuff oh, wow. like that. Um, whatever I could find cheap, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was getting back into audio. I was reading Tape Op magazine, and there was the article for the Tape Op Omni, which is a do-it-yourself project. Right. And it looked, you know, I so I'm not really interested in building speakers. And I'd worked for a speaker building company back in college. But I got into um, building these things. It was a inexpensive Panasonic capsule you'd buy. It was very simple circuitry, uh, and they worked pretty well. And the next step up was we were. This is a discussion on the tape up message board. Getting into um, a, a more professional phantom powered version instead of a nine volt battery and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And the classic there, there's a, a circuit that was used by Sheps uh, going way back, a solid state circuit, but just a very clean balanced not incredibly complicated way of doing this sort of thing. And it had existed in the do-it-yourselfer world for a while as the the way to take a Radio Shack PZM. Remember, Radio Shack made a PZM little powered by a battery. And uh, okay. it was a way to kind of convert that mic into something phantom part. That's what it was used for. So we got into some discussion about that. Um, a couple of us ended up building ones, and it worked out pretty well. It would work with these little Panasonic capsules. Uh, sounded good. Uh, was a pretty reliable way to do things and not super complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't remember now how what the exact sequence of events were. They were I eventually got into uh, uh, it was like a Yahoo mailing list, which is still around, called Mic Builders. And oh, that's re- a great resource. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good list for there's some professionals on there, a lot of hobbyists, um, people that show up with really interesting requirements. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody would show up and say, I'm trying to record owls, and I need the quietest possible circuit. Oh, my and Then the next day, somebody would show up and say, I'm looking for inexpensive ways to record explosions up close. <laughs> so I need a microphone that can handle maximum XBL. So you have these kind of things. And somewhere along the lines, one of the, uh, one of the members had made contact with a Chinese company, and... Uh, assuming he could buy in a certain amount of quantity, he could get an order through. And we were kind of pouring over this, you know, badly translated catalog. <laughs> and uh, there were some interesting-looking ones. Most of them were copies of the Panasonic capsules, which are a little capsule. They've got a built-in FET. Uh, and the long story short, on those, they tend to be noisy because they try to get everything in there. It's meant for something like a cell phone or a tape recorder, okay. uh, whatever. Yeah. And so the noise floor is a little high because they have to meet a price point. Mm-hmm. If you're doing a, a condenser microphone, one thing you need to have is a really high impedance, like on the order of gigaohms. I saw that in the schematic. I, I've yeah. never seen a 1G resistor before. 
Uh, some people think that higher resistances than that actually sound better. They'll use two gigs or five gigs. Okay, but wow. that's an expensive part, and so there's a kind of a cheap way in silicon to sort of crudely imitate it, and that's what they do in those little Panasonic type capsules. I see. Okay. So, but one of the one or two of the things that turned up in this catalog, it was from a company called Transounds, mm-hmm. where they had some ones that were kind of medium diaphragm, like half an inch, whatever. Okay. And they had no circuitry at all. It was just a raw capsule. And so, okay, well, you have to kind of add your own FET. You have to add a one-gig resistor. And uh, uh, one other guy on the list, uh, Dave L., who uh, has a little bit of a mic page. Yeah, I've seen his page, yeah. And uh, he um, he basically kind of came up with a way to do it, kind of a – and, I, you know, I kind of did a similar kind of circuit also. He, he was the first one to build one, but he had to build kind of a complicated housing to make it all work, more like a traditional sort of a large body diaphragm, mm-hmm. large diaphragm, large body mic. Sure. And uh, he kind of said they sounded really good, and that's sort of about when he ran out of free time to do do-it-yourself mics and something else came up, and he was off doing other things for a while, I think. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to build one also, and uh, I wanted to make it a little easier and, and uh smaller package. So one thing I'd found, I'd been on vacation and I'd found this big electronics store and I wandered in there and found in kind of a clearance bin were some round uh, male XLR connectors from Switchcraft. It was the B3M. Okay, yeah. Which is, uh, they used, these used to be more popular. All you had to do was like put a round hole into something and this thing would fit in. There's like a big nut on the back. They had a, a female version also. I have had a yeah, heck of a time trying to find something like that these days. Yeah, Switchcraft B3M, they still make them. You can still get them. Oh. Um, anyway, so I had these things, and I said, well, uh, I need something that this fits into. And so I went to the hardware store and just walked around the whole hardware store kind of sticking this thing in the end of various pieces of tubing and pipe and so on, and I found a one-inch water pipe was like a perfect fit. Okay. Like it looked really nice. It still needed a spacer inside to kind of mount it in place. Uh-huh. That turned out to be uh, like a particular size of plastic conduit that happened to be just the right dimensions. Mm-hmm. And so I had my mic body, then I had to figure out how to make everything else fit in there. And so basically it wasn't really so much electronics innovation as packaging in- innovation. It was yeah. trying to figure out, like squeeze everything onto a little perf board, circuit board, and, you know, I ended up having like a couple, couple of big capacitors sort of glued onto it at various spots. Okay. Um, you know, cut out windows for the side vents and so on. And uh, so I kind of had to figure all this out, but it was a fun project. And at the end of it, I had this this one microphone I'd built and, it, you know, put on the headphones and powered it up, and it sounded really quite good. So this is a, it ended up as a it's an Omni? No, it's a cardioid capsule. Oh, it is a cardi- oh, it's a cardioid capsule. Cardioid capsule. And now, a, now we're talking about with the finished mic, you ended up with the Transound capsule? Yeah, this is the Transound TSB-165A. Okay. Um, there is a company called JLI Electronics in Philadelphia uh, that import those, and you can buy them from oh, them. That's I'm in Philadelphia. Maybe I should stop by. Yeah, that's you know it's a small company. Actually, I was on vacation out there visiting a friend and, and dropped in and talked to the guy. There was like one or two guys who were doing. Oh, cool. They were sort of doing custom microphone capsules, like repackaging and doing circuit boards and so on for other companies. Yeah. Okay. Uh, pretty interesting guy there. Huh. But um, anyway, so it's it's an Omni capsule. It's got the kind of a perforated faceplate, and uh, if you look at microphones that have kind of a perforated faceplate on it, it's a resonator. It, uh, long story short, it's actually a mechanical filter, and it boosts the high frequencies. Okay. 
So that's kind of the Chinese brightness thing. Right. Uh, and that's sort of a, uh, it's not a, a quality indication, it's a preference indication. It's uh, the, the theory is that um, Chinese people, Japanese people, the way their ears work, the way they listen to things, they like their microphones to be a bit brighter. That's interesting. As wow. opposed to, like, you know, the Russians, the Octava microphones, right. which are kind of dark sounding in comparison. And there's that, or just, you know, one guy was building them the first time, made them that way, and everybody's gotten used to that. It's sure. you know, one of those hard to say things. Right. Um, but the interesting thing is, is this, this capsule, um, it's like a 165 means 16.5 millimeters. It's like a, you know, a little over a half inch diameter. Yep. Um, it sounds really good. It's a, uh, the whole thing really about inexpensive microphones is not the quality of the capsule so much. It's the quality of the circuitry around it. Hmm. Um, not so much the design. It's that they have to really shave to meet price points. Like if you want to put, and I'm making numbers up here, but these are probably pretty close to the truth. Okay. If you want uh, to have a microphone that sells for $200 on the shelves at Guitar Center, Mm-hmm. You can't spend a whole lot of money on the microphone itself. You're going to have to spend a lot on advertising, on distribution, on getting it into the stores. Right. Uh, there's all kinds of expenses in the microphone, maybe, you know, from the Chinese factory, which is what we're going to talk about for a $200 microphone in the first place. Mm-hmm. Probably can't cost more than, like, 10 or 15 bucks. Right. Yeah. You know, so then you start using, like, you know, little tiny capacitors, you know, shaving wherever you can. That, that adds up and it compromises the the quality of the microphone. Sure. Yeah. And it seems like something like a, a 1G resistor or really anything over uh, a few mega ohms is is harder to source. I, I don't know if that's just for those of us that are trying to get through-hole components from off-the-shelf <laughs> distributors, but it uh, seems like those get more expensive, too. And, it's, and it seems like you're saying you really do need those really high... Uh, impedances to get the right performance out of a... Well, yeah. I mean, it's not... every Everybody that builds a mic like that has a... You know, they've got to have that, you know, very high impedance resistor in there, one gig, two gig, whatever. Yeah. It's... Uh, if you're if you're buying them in bulk, obviously, it's going to be a lot cheaper. Right. And I think for me, buying them from Mauser or DigiKey, it was usually anywhere from 2 to $5 each. Wow. Um, if Just you for a little quarter-watt metal film resistor? Well, I mean, you know, quarter watt is, at, at one gig, you need, I don't know, millions of volts to get through there. That's, yeah. To get a quarter of a watt. But it was, uh, it's this thing where it's a, it's a not very commonly used part. Right. Uh, and sometimes they wouldn't be available, or you'd have to buy kind of a big high-voltage version. Mm-hmm. Uh, good news is right now at Mauser, there is one that costs under a dollar that's pretty good. Okay. Uh, you can kind of search that out, and that's what I've been getting lately. Uh, the big thing, though, I think, uh, is capacitors, and I don't want to sound like a capacitor snob, but there is a there is a big difference in capacitors you pass audio through, and for some reason, particularly so in a microphone. Mm. And um, so you have in uh, in the Alice design, you have a couple of big film capacitors which the audio passes through. There's a couple of electrolytics also that kind of regulate the power supply and smooth that out. Sure. But, uh, you know, there's a couple of these big honking film capacitors. They are, you know, size of your pinky, basically. Uh-huh. And it's a bit of work to fit them in there. And they're, you know, they cost 75 cents or a dollar versus 10 cents. Right. So and that's for, something you would never find in a in a $200 
Sure. Probably not. And part of it's space and part of it's expense. But I actually, as an experiment, I built an Alice mic with a couple of equivalent electrolytic capacitors. Okay. And it did sound significantly different. It was, uh, the sound was maybe a little more sneered. It wasn't as, as immediate. Um, although, on the other hand, it sounded kind of warmer. It sort of smoothed out some of the high frequencies. So it was a really interesting experiment to try. So, if you don't mind getting subjective for a minute, what mm-hmm. does the Alice mic sound like? How good does it sound? It's it's not the mic for every application. It's not okay. the mic for everybody. Uh, it's a fairly bright mic, but it's very clear sounding. And comparing with some other microphones uh, that tend to sound a bit smeared, this the, the, the detail is very good. Okay. Uh, the applications that I especially use it for are acoustic guitar. It sounds really quite good on something like a classical guitar or a acoustic guitar. Okay. It can be a little bright, say, if you're on a real jangly guitar and you're, you know, going away with a, uh, going at it with a flat pick, you know, it could maybe get a little too bright there for some people. Okay. But it sounds on a, something like a, a classical guitar finger pick, it sounds very natural, very realistic. And I, I'm a live sound guy. I'm not a studio guy. So this is stuff I actually do live. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So you, you use this for your reinforcement work? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, but again, it's not for every application. When, when we look at, uh, in my, you know, my day job is I work for a sound company. We do shows. We mm-hmm. rent gear to other companies and so on. I, uh, if, if we come up with something like an orchestra or a band, we kind of look at the, all the instruments and say, like, well, let's see, if that's a violin, we're going to want to use maybe an AKG 535. It's a really good violin microphone. Uh-huh. Uh, for brass, you'd have something else and kind of go down the list. Sure. And if there's an acoustic guitar, that's where an Alice would really work out well. Oh, cool. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about head baskets and the body. Um, because it sounds like, um, and I think this is really true of so many DIY projects, that the real innovation for the, the DIYer is how to put it together. And, um, you know, we've had, we have circuits passed down from very smart people that worked very hard um, that are now, you know, patents are expired or whatever. So a lot of times we can steal a circuit, but it's still up to us to figure out how to put it in a case, and especially with a microphone where the case affects the sound to a great degree. Um, mm-hmm. a- any tips for someone at home who has a circuit and a capsule and uh, wants to put it together into a good sounding mic? Well, well, get yourself a Dremel tool. and uh... Okay. Uh, and find find a good hardware store. As far as a lot of people do use copper pipe in a couple in some different sizes. Mm-hmm. And uh, another nice material that I've used a few times is uh, brass tavern railing, mm. which you can get from places like McMaster Car. And that's like a two inch kind of heavy brass pipe. It polishes yeah. up really nice. And you can buy an end cap. Okay. And so the end cap kind of fits in there, and you can make a well. It's, it's a lot of work to make a hole in there actually, but. Mm-hmm. It's thick, but you yeah. can put a hole in there, put an XLR or whatever. Right. Um, and then uh, I use a lot, a lot of what I use a Dremel tool for is they have little, they're called abrasive cutoff wheels. And it's just a little tiny version of like a abrasive cutting wheel. Uh-huh. Um, you buy them in like little tubes of 30 or 40, and you, you burn right through them. But they're, it's an abrasive cutting thing, and you can use that to cut pretty precise windows in the side of a piece oh. of pipe. Okay. And, and the trick that I use for that is originally I'd wrap a piece of masking tape around and mark everything out on where I wanted to cut. Mm-hmm. What I do now is I use a spreadsheet. 
Okay. And the spreadsheet is it's meant to be printed on something that wraps around, and it's, oh. it cut, you can cut square windows, or you can, um, you know, put a circle like a drawing of a circle in a cell, and then it becomes a circle that you're going to cut out or drill out. Okay. And then you can buy at the office supply store. You can buy uh, label stock, mm-hmm. uh, particular removable labels. Mm-hmm. So you can print this stuff onto these removable labels. It's adhesive, but not too serious adhesive. You wrap it around, and there's your cutting guide. Okay. So that's a real easy way to do yeah, that. Yeah, very I've clever. Done that a bunch of ways, and also just as places to you know space out where my holes are drilled for other things. Yeah. Um, and that's and then also McMaster Car is the place where you can buy like brass and copper mesh, stainless steel mesh, and like a just an incredible variety of different. Um, sizes, like the size of the wire, the size of the holes, and so on. Okay. McMaster Car, that's the the website? That's the website. They sell more like industrial supplies, but they okay. have a huge amount of raw materials, and in particular, this metal mesh section is pretty amazing. And what are we looking for in, in terms of mesh? Okay, well, on the Alice microphone, I use a brass mesh that is uh, 12 per inch. Okay. So there's 12 wires or 12 holes per inch, and that seems to to work pretty well. You can uh, cut it out with a pair of tin snips. You can roll it around a flashlight or something to make it round and, you know, make a piece that tucks in and fills side windows. And then you can bend, you know, a a flat piece into kind of a little dome shape or whatever that sticks into the end of the microphone. Okay. And then you can usually solder that with electronic solder and just like a good soldering station, something with a fair bit of wattage. Solder it right to the pipe, or no? You solder it to itself. Oh, okay. In the Alice, if you look at the Alice, it's got um, mesh at the end where the you know the end of the microphone where the sound Mm -hmm. comes in, and then the side windows are necessary for the cardioid stuff to work. Okay. Um, And that's like that other piece wrapped around. Those are soldered together. I I solder all that together. I make one little piece that's a tube with an end, and it slides in the end there. Okay. And that's all I have to do. I don't really have to do anything else. It sticks in by friction, mm-hmm. seems to ground itself just fine, and uh, it works out pretty well. So we've talked about kind of how the your transound capsule and and your circuit, I won't say your circuit, the circuit uh, compares to the cheap kind of Chinese microphones. How does what you're doing or what your average DIYer could do compare to what what these companies are doing that are obviously they're using Chinese parts. Um, you know, they're not making things by hand, but they're making really good microphones like Audio-Technica um, or, you know, I'm, I'm not sure who all uses Chinese parts, but yeah, it's a, what they're doing is essentially different or can we approach that, you know, in our basement studio? Well, it's, it's sort of what we alluded to earlier in that what they are doing is – they have to build microphones which sound pretty good, mm-hmm. but they have to meet a price point. Right. And they also have to meet a certain level of durability and reliability. Right. Uh, I mean, you could say, well, Chinese junk, whatever, but they have to build something solid enough that they don't get swamped with returns. Sure, sure. Uh, it may, the economics of that type of stuff is that quite often it is just cheaper to hand you a new microphone from the factory than try to fix the broken one you brought in, but it still costs something to do that. So right. they have to kind of need a bit of a a reliability point, perhaps. What they have in their favor, like uh, I won't talk about all the little companies that just email their graphics to the Chinese factory and get their line of microphones out, but like Audio-Technica, for instance, I think they do make their own capsules, but they could well be using uh, 
they, they've been at it for a long time. They, they, there's a pretty good chance they're using some outside capsules also. Uh-huh. And what they have uh, that they can really take advantage of is they do have their own design people who can figure out right. appropriate circuitry, figure out you know the best circuitry for the features they want to put into the microphone. Mm-hmm. And they also are going to have the test facilities, like you know, or they'll have access to the test facilities, like an, an equip chamber. If they're going to make a a 10,000 microphones to sell, they're going to be able to do you know, a proper job of documenting it, figuring out if they need to fix anything in the sound and so on, if there's anything mm-hmm. that would cause them to have problems before they do it. Right. On the opposite end, there's the do-it-yourselfer who doesn't have access to all that but does have access to being able to not shave pennies on parts. Uh-huh. Um, you know, if you get into, like, do-it-yourselfer, do-it-yourself tube amplifiers, you're going to spend a lot of money. Right. Things like microphones, if you don't mind doing op-amp electronics, you can, for not a lot of money for parts, and mainly most of your time, you can do really a lot. Yeah. You can really mm-hmm. uh, provide good-sounding gear for yourself just by being willing to spend the time on it. Right. Um, you're meeting a different price point, which is you don't really care what the parts cost up to a certain level. Right. You're well, and up- you can outspend the big manufacturers on parts 10 to 1 and still come out ahead. Yeah, and... You're also doing it based on what you want. Right. As you as you build stuff and listen to it, you might say, well, I don't like this and I won't pursue it, or I like this but I want to add this to it. Mm-hmm. And so it's uh, it's a different, you're not building this thing ahead of time that's then going to run through a factory. You're doing stuff in a continuous basis and you can modify things. Right, right. Um, and that's that's a pretty neat thing. And the big thing is you can also do it for fun and just to build cool stuff. And that's a lot of, like, I've got a day job right now, which is a, kind of a cool job. I work for a company that does live sound. We also do a lot of wireless for other companies. We do system design, uh, sound systems for churches, that kind of thing. So I get to work with a lot of interesting gear. I get to go do shows, some pretty high-level stuff. And I even get to go and sometimes... Um, take like a, a newly installed sound system in an auditorium and do all the tuning on it. Oh, okay. Just really a lot of fun. That's very you, cool. Yeah. You kind of, you know, you have all the speakers and you have a processor, but nobody's really gone through and made it like a consistent frequency response through the entire area to, to right. do all that stuff. It's really a pretty interesting piece of work. Yeah, absolutely. So, so microphones I'm doing more for fun. Uh, I might get more serious again one of these days as far as making money off of it. But, right. uh, for me, it's a uh, somewhere between sculpture and audio because I get to design these cool-looking kind of steampunk mics, which is more what I'm doing <laughs> nowadays, and uh, they're, they're fun to I build. I think you, Alice might to... might have predated steampunk, but I, you know, well, I kind of I think the Clara is kind of it's the triangular sort of old school radio mic. It's like the hockey puck in the middle of a spider web thing. Yep. Uh huh. And. Uh, Somebody saw a picture of that several years ago and said, oh, that's steampunk. And I was like, that's <laughs> steampunk. That sounds interesting. You know, but it's, I like to work with things like brass and copper and wood because they're easy to work with. Yeah. And they end up, if you put a little effort into making it look good, it'll look really good. Yeah. There's something very organic about those materials. And I like to, I, you know, have a little bit of wood, even in the Alice, a little wooden plug that holds stuff together in the middle. Oh, there is. Oh. Um, and it's partly is that uh, it's easy to work with, and wood is a fairly acoustically dead material, so it's uh, like a nice thing in there that doesn't ring, it doesn't resonate. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Thank you so much. This has been uh, mm-hmm. really great, really informative. And um, So what's next 
What are you working on these days? Uh, these days, the, the kind of the last major microphone design I came up with is a uh, it's a linear array for grand piano. This is called the Irving. Oh. This is a um, something I've been actually using for several years myself on shows. It's several microphone capsules in in a linear array. Okay. Uh, a couple of pieces that you lay across the harp and a grand piano. Oh, and very cool. It uh, actually works quite well. It picks up a very even sound, very natural sound, and it reduces your outside bleed. Oh. Is this on the website? I don't... This is all... All the designs are on the website. There is okay. another oh, one. A, okay. Yeah. That's uh, at scotthelmkey.com. There is uh, there's a micro, microphones page is one of the first links, and that's got kind of all the... All the designs I've published. I'm working on like another interesting design. that's a little secret still, but more for okay. fun. More, it's more yeah. secret for fun than anything else. Right, right. Uh, oh, I see. Yeah, I'm looking at the Brazil right now, which is yeah. on the website, and this is very. This could be straight out of the movie Brazil. Oh, that was actually the first one I did too, along okay. those lines. That was. Uh, it was sort of inspired by the movie Brazil, and then it ended up being sort of the steampunk thing when when I finally got it all built. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Scott. Uh, yeah, thank I really you. appreciate your spending the time today, and, and uh, it's been great.